Today, Dr. Keshe talks about stimulus and response and the space between, where thoughts, feelings, and urges lie. If you want to eliminate all the self-sabotaging garbage, you think and act on purpose and in conflict with those thoughts, feelings, and urges. Literally. Think and act against them over and over and over, aggressively, violently, stubbornly, persistently. Roll the intro! And welcome to the empty cup, the full cup. Ah, coffee with Cashy. I'm your host, Dr. Trevor Cashy, and this is the world's first sniffable banner. Ferd's first, yeah, scratch and sniff right here. By the way, it's scentless. You scratch it all you want, you sniff it all you want, it's scratch and sniff. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay. Today's lesson is a bit of an interlude involving a conversation that Tabitha and I had during her first beastly experiment on her path to overcoming her binge monster. This is fun. Fun stuff. Really, it is. <laughs> if you're interested in hearing how you can control your outcomes, even if there is a crapola result, and you acted dumbly and made a mistake, and you want to turn it into a constructive outcome, then this is the lesson for you. Real fun story here. Real fun story. And the first step to attacking Tabitha's binge monster was addressing the thinking problem, right? The thinking problem side, which we covered in the previous lessons, for the most part, partially anyway, and are continuously revisiting. And now the focus is more on the practical side, the practical problem side. Tabitha had mentally conditioned herself to eat, to binge eat, yes but she physically conditioned herself to binge eat as well, physically, in quotes here. Uh, where Tabitha had conditioned herself in Pavlovian style, mind you, like the dinner bell, the dinner bell and the salivating dogs, right? She conditioned herself in Pavlovian style to generate what felt like a physical compulsion, a dire need to eat in the cue of a stressor, stimulus, in the cue of a stimulus, this guy. Hey, there we go. Oh, now you see all my secrets. Back. That's okay. And the cube of stimulus there. <laughs> now, again, this was Pavlovian. So this means that you, right, you fight fire with fire. And she had trained this effectively compulsion or conditioned herself to eat at the cube of stressor or again at the idea of a stressor. So her, her belief system was actually generating imagined stressors. And that is what was causing a lot of her binging as well. Cause she'd build things up and then freak out at what she built up and then eat because of that. And this thing was imagined. Okay. And that reminds me, since this lesson is mostly about outcomes or heavily focused on outcomes, uh, the O of the SRO model, then throw down a hashtag need. If you've ever felt the absolute need to do something that you knew deep down, if you thought of it rationally, was actually a want, a desire, or an option rather than a demand, okay? Hmm, right? How do you prove that a need or a demand is actually just a preference or a priority? Well, you fight fire with fire. You fight fire with fire, and you do Dr. Cash's favorite thing ever. You run an experiment. You run an experiment here. Well, that's what ends up happening. You end up, you end up controlling your own conditions and create your own stimulus response and outcomes in a controlled and safe environment with Dr. Cashy. Hmm? Okay, time to get on with it. But first, here is what you are learning, and we're learning from the iPad, all right? <laughs> 
The eternal reviewing of that pesky space between stimulus and response. And I have a pretty neat graphic I'm going to show you here. Boop, boop, boop. That pesky space between stimulus and response. And it's circular interaction. Stimulus, the circular interactions between thoughts, feelings, and urges. Okay? That are fed back into your underlying beliefs. I have all sorts of fancy physiology stuff down here, but maybe we'll, we'll cover that some other time, <laughs> okay? The more often, the point is that the more often and the more times you respond to a stimulus, the more often this happens, in the same way, mind you, the smaller the space between stimulus and response becomes. And under the conditions that we normally speak in, that's typically considered bad, uh, okay? This is when you do it impulsively, you do it impulsively, this is called conditioning, right? Classical conditioning like the Pavlovian dog, ring the bell, salivate, right? That's what uh, Tabitha was doing to herself. And when this is done rationally, when it's done rationally, it's called validation. So you can condition a response or you can validate evidence and then shrink the, shrink the space between stimulus and response that way, right? And that is post-outcome analysis, okay? This means that shrinking the gap between stimulus and response can be good. It can be good. But only once your thinking problems are solved and your distorted and rigid beliefs are replaced with rational and flexible beliefs. And this is how you literally take out insurance on your results by essentially automating smart thoughts and actions. Wouldn't it be nice to feel like you automate all of your smart decisions and smart actions? <laughs> and there are four categorical outcomes in the SRO model, which are essentially here. Here are the four categorical outcomes of the SRO model. <clears throat> the outcome of your response, that is, okay? Coming from a combination of two dependencies. This all fit? Doesn't, mm, still no. There, the combination of two dependencies, the results and the outlook. One is partially under your control. Results are partially under your control because there's always an element of probability, right? A meteor could strike and decimate everything and everyone. And one is entirely under your control, which is your outlook. This means you can have a constructive outcome, a constructive outcome Ooh, like a constructive pen here, a constructive outcome with a positive or a negative result. Hope that makes sense. So a positive result and a positive outcome is essentially grateful. And a positive result and a negative outcome, other than ungrateful, is essentially demanding, right? Either demanding of yourself or demanding of your universe or the expectations are, if that makes sense, like whatever the result is, it just didn't count. And if you have a negative result and a positive outlook, well, then you have a constructive outcome because you have a resilient response. You learn from it and you can apply it to your system and tune up your change engine for next time. And finally, if you have a negative result and a negative outlook, well, that's where disasters come from. That's where disasters come from. And that's where the essentially self-destructive and harming behaviors come from associated with that sort of outlook and result a lot of the time. Is that you had a crappy result, you got further from what you want, and you had a crappy outlook at the same time. That's just a combination to act like a total you-know-what. <laughs> and that's what ends up happening. Then you self-perpetuate. Boop. Okay. Tabitha knew intuitively 
that this Hunger Game concept made sense, right? Fighting fire with fire. One thing she was terribly afraid of was going without food. And so now in a controlled stimulus response and outcome environment between us and in combination of her GP, she is now experimenting. Well, what happens if she decides to go without eating? When she trained herself for decades, that even at the slightest little little frustration she needed to eat, okay? This would provide proof firsthand that all she trained herself to eat at the slightest frustration or negative disturbance or the idea of a disturbance, that she trained herself to do, well, anything else at the slightest frustration or negative disturbance as well. Meaning that if she trained herself one way, she can train herself another on purpose and with purpose. However, since she started incorporating more rational, constructive, and scientific thinking into her daily life, she indulged her newfound curiosities with yours truly <laughs> for the sake of science, she says. Perfect excuse. She was confident it would work, which is obviously good. It just made too much sense to her. Points for TKN, right? <laughs> and she wanted to learn more about how it worked, the machinations behind it. Now you speak in my language as a healthfully skeptical scientific thinker would. Scratch and sniff. <laughs> so what makes TKN's approach so different? Tabitha asked me. Okay, she asked, and so Dr. Cashy replies, well, TKN appreciates that you have, when looking at the extreme ends of the continuum, two sides, originally denoted from Dr. Seymour Epstein as the dual process cognitive experiential system theory thingy. Patent pending, okay? Metaphorically, these two systems exert tension on each other, philosophically anyway, right? Your impulsive side and your rational side. They're constantly in flux, overlapping, in tension, uh, conflicting, aligned, like who knows what's going on with them at any given time, right? And so her eyes glazed over, she's like, what? Cognitive experiential power, and I was like, okay. The impulsive side and the rational side. Right, the lizard and the lover, whatever, whatever, you know, combination or dichotomy, the light side, you know, whatever, the combination of words you want to choose. And she went, oh, okay, okay. <clears throat> and I said, okay, if, if you ever, have you ever been frustrated because somebody cut you off or slammed on their brakes or honked or gave you a finger when you were stuck in traffic and you wanted to, you wanted to run their car off the road or even run them over and crush them? Well, she said, duh, who hasn't? In true spicy Tabitha form, there was also some curse words in there that I had removed. And I said, well, did you? Did you run them over and crush them? She said, no, that would be a stupid idea because, ah, uh, ah, uh. <laughs> just like that. <laughs> and I said, yeah, exactly. Your rational brain vibe checked your impulsive brain. <laughs> Let's try one more. You ever almost been hit by somebody? while just walking and minding your own business? Hmm? She said, yes, I have. Thinking back, visibly agitated, thinking about that experience, which was obviously pretty dangerous, okay? And I said, explain why you're still Tabitha instead of a Tabitha pancake. See if we can go back to the... Okay, why are you Tabitha instead of a Tabitha pancake right now? She was thinking a little bit, okay? And then she said, well, I busted out my best ninja moves without even thinking. Busted out my best ninja moves without even thinking. Her spiciness was back, of course. <laughs> I said, okay, explain what happened and what you thought right after. And she said, well, as soon as I made sure all of my girly bits were in the right places, I got up and took a deep breath and wiped all the dirt off my shirt 
And then I got mad as hell because I wanted to turn that guy's balls into a... Oh. Hmm? <laughs> yes, exactly. Your rational brain vibe-checked your impulsive brain again, but in an equal opposite way. Thinking rationally and rationalizing are two practically, they're, they're two practical separate, they're two practically separate things, okay? Because you can think logically and reasonably. Hmm? Rational just implies you use logic and reason. And so your desire to uh, do whatever you wanted to do with that guy's testicles was logical and reasonable. It was based on something that was distorted and that was essentially the demand that this person treated you a certain way. In this case, not run you over, right? Uh, but in that regard, it's she put demands on this person. And when, those pers when that person fell short of her arbitrary demands on this stranger, she then re-stimulated herself and thought about cutting his testicles off, right? Which then she had to vibe check herself again and say, okay, well, that's dumb, right? I hope that makes sense. Again, rational just implies you use logic and reason. But if that logic and reason is based on distorted beliefs, well, then even something logical and reasonable can come out with a pretty crooked result, okay? One thing worth pointing out, though, this is me talking to her again, is you said you did your best ninja moves without thinking. Hmm? And I said, do you really think that's true? And she said, well, of course. Of course I did all my best ninja moves without thinking. I was about to die. I had to do all my best. My ninja moves, they just had to come out, my training. And I said, describe what you told yourself before you got smacked. Hopefully you catch us. I say, describe what you told yourself instead of tell me what you thought. Because she thinks she did it automatically, right? So I changed the language to tell me what you told yourself. She said, well, right before I got hit, I thought, oh, shit. Oh, about to get hit. Oh, shit. Ninja rules. <laughs> Live. <laughs> okay. And so what happened was she's thinking through this. I got the I got the stimulating event almost dead, right? That that led to let's see if we can go here again. Excellent. Perfect. The stimulating event almost dead led me to thinking, oh shit. <laughs> and then that made me feel afraid. Hmm? And then that led to an urge or a decision or an action tendency to live which then prompted the response ah, to do my ninja rolls and get out of the way. It just happened faster than I cared to recognize. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Additionally, there are many different paths this could have taken. And if you curated enough close call stories with people that presumably saved their own lives by dodging a vehicle in the nick of time, so to speak, you'd get the whole smattering of those outcomes. But for now, I can describe the four major outcomes that occurred. Boop. Okay. Excellent. The four major outcomes. The four major outcomes are a positive result, which, well, okay, I lived. Positive result and a positive outlook. You essentially are grateful, right? Then there's a positive result and a negative outlook. Positive result and negative outlook. Well, that's essentially ungrateful, right? You're demanding. This is, I had a good result, 
but this good result doesn't count is essentially what it means. Also known as like high levels of arrogance or perfectionism, things like that, where you can get a good result, but your outlook on that result is poor. And so it defeats the purpose. Okay. And then you also have negative results and positive outlooks. This is resilience. This is, well, I actually did get hit by the car, but I lived and I can make a full recovery. Okay. And then there's the negative result in a negative outlook, which is, well, okay, you got hit and you lived and now you think your life is completely over and now life is pointless and maybe you spiral into more self-harming, depression, anxiety, and other behaviors. Okay. Does that make sense? Right. And ironically enough, Tabitha, you had a positive result and survived, right? And then decided effectively to have a negative outlook on your positive experience, on your positive results. She essentially chose to be demanding. That guy almost killed me. I'm going to cut his balls off instead of, oh my goodness, I'm alive. This is amazing. I'm going to have a wonderful day, right? She chose to have a negative outlook on a positive result. So I hope that makes sense. And you can translate that to other things that are going on in your life and your plans and your health and things like that nature. Okay. And time is effectively out here. <laughs> so here's what you've learned and I'll continue on with all this tomorrow. Hope it's fun. Super fun for me. So, all right. Now you have an idea of how a problem blocking you. Beep. Boop. Everything's better with beep boops. You have an idea of how a problem blocking you from what you want, a stimulus, okay, leads to you doing something about it, a response. And it's because of that pesky space between stimulus and response has a circular action between thoughts, feelings, and urges that are fed from and into your belief system. <clears throat> Humans are neat, okay? And the more often and the more times you respond to a stimulus in the same way, in the same way, mind you, the smaller that gap between stimulus and response becomes. This means that when done impulsively, it's like classical conditioning, it's conditioning. And when done rationally, like afterwards you decide to look at what happened and do this again and integrate this and make your system better, then that's validation. You're validating the evidence and so you end up kind of sort of automating helpful thoughts and behaviors over time. So yes, shortening the space between stimulus and response can be good when you reinforce the helpful stuff on repeat. And this is the practical side of things. <laughs> this is the practical side of this cognitive thinking stuff, right? If you want to change the way you think and act so you can eliminate self-sabotaging garbage, whoop, hmm, if you want to eliminate all of that self-sabotaging garbage, then you must think and act purposefully and aggressively in conflict with those things. Literally think and act against them over and over and over, aggressively, violently, stubbornly, persistently, okay? And when you do it enough times, when you do it enough times, you end up shifting it from rational substantiation and validation to actually more impulsive conditioning. <laughs> where it becomes more automatic the more times you do it. Fully automatic? No. More automatic than it was before? Yeah, you shrink that space, all right? It feels automatic. The more you reinforce a helpful thing rationally, the more impulsive it becomes. Totally impulsive? No. Who else wants their smart decisions and smart actions to feel automatic, right? <laughs> you may have heard this described as good intuition. That's effectively what that is, all right? And then the last thing is that there are four categorical outcomes in the SRO model. Boop this 
There are four categorical outcomes in the SRO model coming from a combination of two dependencies, your outlook and your results. One is partially under your control, the results, because there's probability here, of course. And then the other one is entirely under your control, and that is essentially your outlook. This means that you have a vast, vast, vast majority influence over the helpfulness of your outcome, the overall helpfulness. Do you learn from this and have it help you later? You can have that happen with any result, okay? This is the key to having a constructive and helpful outcome even when you get negative results, okay? Back here. So make sure to throw down a hashtag need. If you've ever felt an absolute need to do something, you knew deep down if you thought about it rationally it was actually a want or a preference <laughs> or an option, right? How do you prove that a need or a demand is actually just a want or a preference? Well, you do Dr. Cashy's favorite thing ever. You run an experiment and see what happens. You lived. Oh, must just be a preference then. This is good news. Now we can think rationally. <laughs> Got to run an experiment, which, speaking of which, is about to happen. Want to continue having coffee with Dr. Cashy? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is very much appreciated. Thank you, and see you next week. Dr. Cashy is out. <laughs>